Thanks for listening to Integrity Radio. Be sure to visit me at www.sifuz.com and visit me on Twitter at Sifu underscore Z. Hey everybody, it's Z and I hope you're having a super day or have had a super day or will be entering into a super day, whatever the case might be. I have uh, posted on my website um, an emotional IQ. Um, it's a posting regarding emotional intelligence. And, and also linked to that is an emotional intelligence workbook. Uh, um, I believe there might be a test. Well, I was in Barnes & Noble yesterday, as you probably know if you've been following and I picked up Self-Scoring Emotional Intelligence Tests by Mark Daniel with an introduction, an introduction by Victor Sarabriakov. 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 There we go. Victor Sarabriakov. <laughs> uh, who is a honorary international president of Menza, if you're familiar with Menza. The uh, um, the Genius Club. So it was a very quick test. Uh, the whole book is only about thirty nine pages. <clears throat> um, yeah, the, the test was very uh, pretty quick, pretty easy to do, and uh, so how did I do? I got a hundred. No, just kidding. Um, it doesn't actually work like that, you know. It, it doesn't uh, say you are an emo an emotional idiot <laughs> if you don't pass or anything. It essentially tells you where you are emotionally. Um, yeah, I mean, it would pretty much be up to you to decide if that's the way you want to be or that's the way you want to behave emotionally or not. But it's not really a test that you can fail or um, you know, succeed in. Okay, so the first question uh, is, are you emotionally literate? And then they ask you a series of questions and your score then determines um, your diagnosis. So, uh, I am emotionally literate. I have no problem in accepting and using my emotions when appropriate. <clears throat> so, the second question is, is your self-image positive or negative? Um, mine was somewhat negative. Uh, more difficulty in developing an accurate appreciation of yourself. Uh, and this, in turn, makes me intolerant of the same flaws in others. So it didn't do so well, so to speak, in my opinion, like <laughs> that. Uh, are you an extrovert or introvert? And, uh, well, it turns out I'm somewhat of an introvert and that I should look to the outside world in order to exercise my emotional intelligence. Well, thank you, Anchorites. Yes, uh, we're kind of doing that now, aren't we? Am I independent? Yes, definitely. Uh, yet unafraid of silence and solitude. 
communicative, gregarious when necessary. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm independent. Who is in charge, the child or the adult? Uh, the adult. I got that one. Uh, I, it seems that I have reconciled the needs of the child within. And are you a follower or a leader? And that I got, I'm a leader. Keep the rules written in water, constantly changing according to circumstances, not least because it keeps others, others on their toes. Must speak and hear many voices at once and distinguish between their pleas. Boy, am I hearing a lot of voices at once. I didn't know that was a good thing, but yes. Uh, are you making the most of yourself at work? Yeah, they will follow your lead, but they can only trust you if your principles and your position are confidently held. Yeah, that's, that's, so, uh, yeah, did well in my own opinion on that. And last but not least, is your relationship in danger of flooding? Stay tuned. All right, so is my relationship in danger of flooding? What is flooding anyway? Flooding is a word that's used to describe the sort of relationship in which aggressive and defensive reflexes have become a way of life between two or sometimes more people. A good example of this is the use of the words always and never. You know, no one is always or never anything. Now, I scored well on this with just a warning that the more I idealize, the more bitter and cruel will be the adaptation to reality. And that it is easy to love a fictional character a lot harder to muddle along with a fellow human. I've always said this about myself that I tend to give people more credit than I should. However, I want to read from the, um, oh, if you want to call it the failing score, or in other words, is your relationship in danger of flooding? And if it were, um, how would you know? I didn't score that, but I think it would be important to read this. And here it goes. There are two words which the emotionally intelligent should excise, not exercise, but excise from their vocabulary because they are dangerous, destructive lies. They are always and never. No one is always or never anything. People have irritating habits, destructive vices, bad traits which surface from time to time, insecurities which man manifest themselves as assertiveness, fears which emerge disguised as certainties, prejudices founded on ignorance, but they are people, not monsters, for all that. Always and never turn criticisms. That is a thoughtless act into insults. You are always thoughtless and insults because they cannot be answered with reason are nothing short of violence, which breeds violence in its turn. Always and never 
do violence to the person who thinks and speaks such nonsense, because in time he or she begins to believe it, and his or her head becomes crowded with mythological monsters. Your responses, even to overtures of peace and acts of kindness, are pre-programmed to fight or flight. It may be too late for you to banish these lies, but if your relationship is worth saving, and most are, in one form or another, list your partner's qualities and praise them. Remind yourself of all the reasons that you got together in the first place. Count your blessings and gently communicate your distress. Be ready to say sorry and to make concessions over trivial matters. Develop a code for your own purposes or, if possible, to be shared with your partner in order to identify upsurges of irritation, anger, or panic. Break the cycle by recognizing that you are both badly bruised and need to be handled very, very gently. Yeah, I think uh, that it's, even if I didn't score that, it's very important to know that. And to have code, is that is such an important thing. To come up with some sort of code or word or, or sign that you're in that moment of fragility. All right, well, I hope this helps, and uh, I'll probably be talking more. I also got the Emotional Intelligence 2.0 book. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm not really all that big on the self-help books, but then again, uh, I, I, I have read a decent amount of them, so uh, I guess I'm not all that foreign to the genre. <laughs> Integrity Radio. Yeah, I have three teenage boys, and I, I, I'm in some of a, a pickle, because, um, well, it's nice that they sleep in, because it's nice and calm and quiet, and, and I can think and kind of focus on things, and, uh, and God love them, they wake up, and uh, then... We got to focus. We got to pay attention. Um, so, but I don't like letting them sleep in. I think if they sleep too long, then it kind of really makes them very draggy all throughout the day. So I think that when I let them sleep too long, it's sort of almost abusive. <laughs> so I feel bad about. But they love to sleep in. Uh, they'd probably sleep in up to oh I bet you till 11 I bet if I let them but uh I don't know maybe I'll let them I, I never really let them sleep in too late but maybe I should just like experimentally try that see what happens see how long they just lay there I did that to them once with video games I wanted to see how long they would play video games if left to their own devices yeah, after about two days straight, I had to stop them, though. <laughs> after on Anchor, I just played a clip from Sentient uh, Future that was actually echoed off of Working Like a Woman. 
Let me tell you, I am so stoked that we are doing this on Anchor. You know, when I got involved with Anchor, um, this is exactly what I was hoping would happen. That one, that we would uh, talk and portray our perspective and specifically our Wing Chun perspective and then share that with others and then also hear what others uh, have to share. It's this sharing that I find invaluable because we're getting different voices and different perspectives from, from so many different areas and on so many different levels. You know, understanding ourselves and being able to control ourselves is such a vital aspect of our successful future, really. You know, I've always said you can't improve the ideal that is Wing Chun. Wing Chun is like this idyllic tool. However, you can improve the way in which you use this tool and even understand the tool. And again, this is where outside influence is so vital. It adds hue and tint and color and contrast to an otherwise black and white drawing. This two-way stream of communication, what we would call chi sao, is so important. And who we are having this chi sao with is so vital. So I uh, can't help but be appreciative of every single one of you that have contributed and are continuing to contribute to this conversation we're having here on Integrity Radio. Everybody, Z here. Ronnie and I was talking about emotional intelligence and um, I sort of threw out a hypothesis because the physical pathway for emotional intelligence starts in the brain at the spinal cord. Your primary senses enter here and must travel to the front of your brain before you can think rationally about your experience. But first they travel through the limbic system, the place where emotions are experienced. Emotional intelligence requires effective communication between the rational and emotional centers of the brain. And so uh, I've also read a lot about this and watched a lot of uh, YouTube videos, uh, workshops, seminars, stuff like that from various doctors and psychiatrists and stuff. Um, neuroscience, mostly, neuroscientists. And yeah, how they're explaining is everything has to go through the emotion. Rather you know it or not, everything gets processed as an emotion and then goes to the logic. So rather you know it or not, that's how it works. I think that's fascinating. If anybody has information on this to the contrary, please let me know. Now, I, now I threw out a hypothesis of my own, or at least I believe it's my own. I don't think it's been influenced by any other work other than my work in Wing Chun, and that is uh, the body 
having memory, places of memory. The whole body is a memory processing center. And that certain memories are um, throughout the body are affected by injuries throughout the body. Now, I don't want this to start sounding too, uh, you know, new agey hogwash. Uh, so I'm not going in that direction with this, trust me. Or even better, uh, Google it yourself. Some of the phenomena connected with this are sort of amputees uh, having a ghost effect of still feeling their foot. Perhaps pain connected to the base of the spine or connected to the nervous system that is connected to the base of the spine may be more difficult to manage pain-wise. Okay, here's the hypothetical part. That was just the hypothetical part. Here's another hypothesis is that if the pain is close to the base of the spine, then it would create a loop, a short loop from that point to the base of the spine. It would create a short loop. And the smaller the loop, the stronger the loop. Now, if the pain or the memory is further away, let's say at your foot, then that pain easier to manage simply because the loop is so big that, it, that it's easy to break that loop, that pain loop. Now again, this could be uh, current pain, immediate pain, or more importantly, um, stored pain, not uh, pain, it's a memory of a, of a pain uh, in the knee or the foot being held perhaps unconsciously. You know, again, I'm asking these questions, but these very well could be questions that have already been asked uh, through neuroscience. So if anybody out there knows or has a good source for me to check, let me know. And uh, I'm sorry that I muddled through this segment so poorly, but it's more of a note to myself to look into these areas um, more thoroughly. So my apologies, Integrity Radio. Morning, Terrence. Good morning. So you're morning to... Uh, good morning, everyone on listening well, no, to Integrity your Radio. Mother. Oh, good morning, Mom. <laughs> Good morning, Anchor and my mother. <laughs> he meant that with all his heart. So yeah, I don't know where uh, you uh, got that study from, but it does sound about accurate. You know, 40 hours when you're young, and uh, as you get into your 30s, uh, more in the 30 hours, and as you get into your 40s, and 50s, I'm sure that it uh, it goes down even more so. I mean, I really don't feel I have very many effective hours uh, for doing, you know, various things. And, you know, certainly I can push it, and we do. We often push it beyond uh, what we feel feels good. 
which then usually requires a certain amount of recuperative period. <laughs> I just thought, how do teenagers fit into that equation? Hmm. Oh, by, by the way, the kids all woke up on their own accord. I, I believe before 11 o'clock. Yeah, yesterday I put up a segment that could easily have been missed uh, about um, tension and compression and good tension versus bad tension. Or, I'm sorry, stress. Good stress versus bad stress. And I really do think that it boils down to stress, right? Because if it, if working so many hours and then having to deal with the rest of life wasn't so stressful, then it wouldn't even be an issue. So if you correlate tension with stress, and what I mean by that is the physics of tension and compression, what is literally needed is more tension in your compression. Again, women, they've come up with Wing Chun, sort of figured this out at least 400 years ago. These were female Chinese servants 400 years ago, working in servitude for the Shaolin Temple that created this martial art form, this amazing martial art form. I mean, it really shouldn't even call itself a martial art form. It shouldn't belittle itself to a martial art form, a mere martial art form. We're talking Gung Fu, a way of life. Hard work. Real work. Wing Chun is a synthesis of really not hundreds of years, but thousands of years that date back to the Hindi gods Shiva, Ganesh, Brahma. Wing Chun is the last organic of human excellence before the age of mechanization and computers and industry. Now, I apologize. I'm not really piecing this together very eloquently. You know, if you look at the exception to the rules, uh, you learn a lot. That's kind of how we've learned a lot about the brain by looking at mental disorders, uh, uh, severe mental disorders. We've been able to learn a whole lot. And they are the exception. And so we can learn from that exception. There are people out there that work exuberant hours and live long, healthy lives. How do they do that? And I think the short answer is quite simple. Do what you love. Maintain doing what you love. The doing part is important. I have found that these days people are just excited about being excited about something. They're interested in being interested. It's an epidemic really. And I think people are cheating themselves. They're not swimming into the deep end of the pool of life. And to come full circle, our emotional response to stress plays a huge part in our quality of life. Thanks for listening. Integrity Radio. 
About 15 hours ago, I posted this, and I'm going to post it again. Again, I think it was easy to miss, and it's it's huge. It's a huge section in reference to Wing Chun and using and how we're looking at Wing Chun, forging our bodies and our thinking and our behavior. And perhaps most importantly, Wing Chun helps us to control our emotional response to great stresses. So I'm going to play it again and I hope that you can really see the correlation that I'm making here. Enjoy. Again, pay close attention. Maybe even listen to it again. Connect the dots. Put together the pieces. Ever wonder why when they're making a sword, they keep pounding and pounding with a hammer? In fact, in any blacksmith shop, they would keep pounding the metal not only to shape it, but to make it stronger and stronger so it could withstand the task it was being asked to do. This is called peening, and compressing the molecules in the metal makes it harder and much, much stronger. When they made the first car, they used the peening process to make the car strong because they needed to be or else the car would fail. It became a real important function in the process of making car parts, but not quite as important as on airplanes, where they use the peening process to ensure that wings stay on a plane. After they would weld the wings on a plane, they had to make sure they could withstand the bending that plane wings have to do when they catch the wind. I'm sort of glad they do that. Let me explain how this works. If you take a metal bar and start to bend it, you'll find that the bottom of the bar has a compression as it starts to bend. Essentially, the molecules in the bottom of the bar are pushed together, causing a compression. In the top of the bar, the molecules are being stretched apart. This is called tension. And when the molecules are farther apart, the bar becomes weaker. If you take any piece of metal and constantly bend it in both directions, it will become weaker and eventually you will find that it begins to break apart. But if it's a bar and it is bent in only one direction, the side with the tension is the area where it starts to break. The compressed side is protected because it's stronger from the compression. Now, if we could make the side with tension more compressed, it would last longer. So what they do in metallurgy is they hit the weak side with small pieces of shot to compress the tension side of things. Once a piece of shot makes an indentation, it compresses that area. So if you hit it with multiple pieces of shot, the whole side of the bar becomes compressed. It's called shot peening, and it's like the ball peen hammer that used to make swords strong. So essentially, both sides of the bar are compressed, and the bar is rock-solid hard. That's why wings stay on planes, and car parts can run for miles. In nature, people go through a shot-peening process throughout their life. They are slowly hit with pieces of bad information, or things that they do not want to know. And those pieces of information are the shot that compress their personality. 
Once compressed, they can withstand greater and greater loads. But just as with metal, you can only withstand a certain amount of shot before you start getting weaker. Those pieces of shot in business might be contracts withdrawn or employees creating different types of stress. In psychology or medicine, it might be patients coming in and presenting problems over the years or presenting problems you can't help them with. In law enforcement, it might be fatal accidents or shootings or anything that can cause your blood pressure to rise through the roof. So be aware of where you are in the wear and tear process and make sure you are not weakened. Be aware when you are shot peeing to almost the breaking point. And once you are aware, do the self-help that is necessary to get yourself back to where you can flex and be like the wings on an airplane or the sword of a samurai. Now what's different about Wing Chun is really it's taking this concept and from a philosophical idea to a physical, psychological practice, a physiological, psychological practice. There is no other. I defy you to point to one. So we are no longer floating it around in the ether of subjective philosophies. We have a psychology that befits the creative growth of humanity with more proof than any new age pseudo-scientific quackery could ever produce. This 400-year-old Gung Fu system needs to be at the forefront of science and technology, at the forefront of humanitarianism. And in fact, even space travel and evolutionary biology should be paying close attention to what I'm talking about in regards to Wing Chun. Now, I don't have all the answers, but what I do have is a significant amount of pieces of the puzzle, and the picture is quite obvious. Please help me to complete this puzzle and to complete this picture that we all are familiar with. You know, the picture of a level one civilization where we actually achieve this thing called humanity. I really think it's fascinating how Siwantel educates us. Physically educates us to a way of becoming human, fulfilling our potential. I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but developing unique perspective, so important. So few of us are able to see things through our own eyes, through our biases. It truly is a challenging thing to see the world without your bias without the hurt and the pain that's stored unconsciously throughout your whole body. A mere word, a mere sound, a mere tone can trigger a loop to a pain center. Think about all the sensitive 
parts of your body are all located up near the spine, the base of the spine, creating short, strong loops of emotional trauma. I'd imagine if you were emotionally weak, even a sore toe would probably debilitate you. Whereas if you're emotionally strong, you may be able to suffer through a sore toe. I hope this theory is congealing more. I I know I'm sort of uh, plodding through it as I speak with you here. But that really is what I'm using this platform for as a sort of public notebook um, of discovering ideas, revealing ignorances, specifically my own. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Integrity Radio. Hey, Integrity Radio. Sentient Future here. Thanks so much for echoing my uh, segment. Uh, That means a lot to me. I'm glad that uh, you know, you found it, you know, useful enough to, to share with your listeners. And, uh, yeah, I, I love what you're putting out. I, I completely agree too. Just, this is, this is phenomenal. Just the, the ability for us to share and, and indulge in each other's perspectives. And I'm just having the best time I mean, listening to, to you and to, to other podcasters out there. I feel like I'm learning so much and that this is really a a pretty awesome community already and it's just it's just growing so um yeah thanks so much for all you do can't uh, thank you enough for for posting the the segment and uh yeah keep up the great work hi this is z i'm gonna play a song for you called tumbleweed i wrote and recorded it some time ago but it's a good song hope you enjoy it
You're listening to Integrity Radio. Learn self-correction at www.sifuzi.com. Listen to original music at soundcloud.com slash music for dogs. You can also follow Sifu underscore Z on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash Sifu underscore Z. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more here on Integrity Radio. Hey, this is in response to Sentient Futures model of life. And I really did like uh, that segment a lot. Um, Of course, I'm contrarian. I try to find little flaws in everything, regardless if I like it or not. Well, if I don't like, I don't even bother. But if I do like an idea or something, the first thing I do after embracing it and loving it is I look at it closer to see where the weaknesses might be. And in this particular case, I just think that if you include a soul or spirit into your model, then you are including a flawed concept, a highly flawed idea, highly flawed concept. Um, as in it might have been a a decent model some time ago, maybe a hundred or more years ago, but as of now, it is not a good model to choose from, this whole soul-spirit concept. I think this is important because if you fall into an unrealistic worldview, it's bound to fail. It's bound to leave a large hole where you least expected it. I mean, if your idea is your sense of happiness or any of the other emotions, then let's use those terms. Now, if somebody sneezes, I have no problem with God bless. When I hear a piece of music that moves me, I have no problem with describing how it has moved my soul. But when we're starting to talk about real and important things, real important things, such as human emotion, I think it's time to get serious with our words, to get exact as we can, and resist the pool of popular use of our vernacular. As a musician, as an entertainer, certainly as a magician, I have learned how easy it is to manipulate people's emotions. Now, you certainly don't have to be an artist of any sort to manipulate people's uh, emotions. In fact, I think we manipulate each other's emotions and our own emotions unconsciously. But the conscious manipulation of emotion certainly takes more work, more effort. You know, magicians are great part of our society. They teach us how easy it is to get a whole bunch of people to nod yes to something that is not true. We are extremely biologically hardwired to try to figure things out quickly. Now, I don't know what the percentage or ratio is, but We get it wrong a lot. We get it right or else we 
wouldn't use that system, but we also get it wrong a lot of times. Things are often not as they appear. If I can remember, I'll put a link to uh, the Jerry Andrus um, box frame illusion. I think it's important to remember what your perspective is, but be very flexible, be willing to genuinely take on other perspectives if you really want to see things more clearly and if you really want to behave more efficiently. As an artist, I want to restrict myself. I want to restrict the tools that I use. I prefer a brush and some paint and canvas. I, I don't use a, a camera or a computers in my art. However, as an observer of art or as an observer of life, I want to look at as many perspectives as I can and unique perspectives, not the perspectives that are long held and monumentized and conventionalized. And in this respect, I think our duality really serves us and we can really be empowered with this sort of duality. But now for something totally different. Um, I have a neighbor that keeps mowing his pasture. He has a pasture in front of his place like we do. and um, Keeps mowing it every day. But isn't actually mowing anything. He just drives the mower up and down and up and down all day sometimes in the night now this is not the guy that owns the property but just some guy that maybe lives there or comes there every day and does this doesn't actually mow anything and then he'll actually come home the owner of the property will come home and he'll drive a uh, a four wheel like a what are those those recreational four by fours or something and uh He'll come home and drive that up and down and up and down. Now, we're, we live in a, in a pretty populated area. We're, we're very close to, to each other. Um, we just happen to have, you know, large lawns that so we're right in the city, you know. Um, this is just so bizarre. Some of the strangest things here. <clears throat> just, yeah. Dust and mowing his lawn all day, all night, but no mowing. Maybe it's just trimming. Maybe he doesn't want to shock the blades of grass. Jeez. Very peculiar. I have no idea what I was talking about anymore. Uh, I hope it was uh, enjoyable nonetheless. <laughs> Integrity Radio. Okay, let me get back on point. Sorry about that. How easy is it to be deceived by other people and by ourselves? Well, asking a scientist probably wouldn't be the best person. Asking uh, a really smart person even <laughs> might not be the best answer to your question. The best person, of course, would be a magician or, a, you know, a con artist or something like that. 
See, these people know how easy it is to deceive. They work on your desire to say yes and your desire to be seen as a good person. If you're that kind of a person, a person that desires to be seen as a good person uh, in one way, shape, or another, then you are the perfect sh uh, uh, mark for the magician. See, uh, it's deceptive people are hard to to spot, but not impossible. Not impossible. You know, uh, there are red flags that are very easy to catch, like, you know, somebody that wants to be your friend really quickly, you just meet them, they want to be your friend on superficial grounds, like, you know, same sports team or something, you know. Um, another way to kind of tell if uh, someone's trying to fool you or deceive you is by uh, someone when they ask for small seemingly inconsequential requests of whatever nature they might be. And then um, gradually uh, work up to bigger requests. Uh, this is a very popular thing for magicians to do, um, to just sort of get you to believe one little thing and then a, a slightly bigger thing. Yeah, And then... Um, and then, then there's the great, I will ask you to believe something really far-fetched or ask something uh, huge of you, um, knowing that you wouldn't possibly, um, you know, give in to such a request and then um, settle for what I'm actually asking for. Uh, those are, these are common uh, methods of deception. Using your desire to want to be viewed by others as a good person is the one step ahead method of the magician, of the con artist. And we use, it actually doesn't have to, this is the most simplest version of it. If we can um, understand your archetype, then we can use your perception of yourself against you. So it doesn't really matter what sort of person you are, as long as I can uh, pinpoint your archetype. You know, another uh, way to spot a con artist is somebody that represents something uh, scarcity or puts a time pressure on it, you know. So it's a common thing for salespeople, right? You know, one time only, uh, one in a million sort of a thing. Yeah, it's usually coming from a con artist. The human desire to say yes. I would say, um, well, in this respect, it's important to know how to say no. And also, not no to just other people, but no to the deceptive ideas and the deceptive thinking. Uh, that magician with inside of us called the unconscious. 
Okay, I think I narrowed down what I was trying to say from the previous segment. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Let me know what you think. Integrity Radio. Okay, you guys, I'm going to give you some more super secrets of the magician. So, uh, and by the way, I do hope that you use this information to better yourself and others, the world around you, because that's what this is all about. Um, the world of the magician really is the world of the narcissist. And that's, of course, why you see them in Las Vegas. The narcissist is hailed as king in Las Vegas. Magicians' faces are plastered on the sides of buildings as if jousting one another. Now, if you know what narcissism is, then you will really understand, one, how a narcissist takes advantage of others, and then two, how the narcissist couldn't exist unless we enabled them. Ronnie uh, sort of touched on this with her segment on the influence of you know rock stars or football stars or television stars. Now the uh, up and coming segment that I'm gonna post, I want you to pay close attention. Now you're probably going to hear something that might seem as if it's applying to you. Now, I, this is very important. It is this common ground that allows narciss, narcissism to exist. Now, this is seven things that terrify narcissists. Uh, this is coming from the Conscious Reminder um, channel on YouTube. All right, this is going to be in two parts. See you on the other side. Enjoy. Okay, so now that the kids aren't around, I can kind of talk about the more shady part of magic. You know, magicians really were the first con artists. And uh, so there's a long tradition of that. And also, um, you know, magicians are shrouded in secrecy. So anything, any dark sort of side of the human behavior uh, magicians seem to have uh, had a foot in. Magicians always seem, over the years, no matter what, so uh, plastic, unreal. I'd say magicians tend to be somewhat well-read or somewhat educated. Certainly more in a broad spectrum sort Knowing a little bit of math, a little bit of science, a little bit of psychology, a little bit of history. But most of all, the magician knows just more, just enough, just enough more than the average person. And that's all it takes is just to be a little bit more informed. In magic, we call it the one step ahead method. In fact, this method can be applied to almost any science or uh, discipline. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not downing the magician. You know, actually, I first sing the praises of the magician. Their ability to take us to another world, to 
to show us how easily we can be deceived and uh, you know above all to entertain us but as a skeptic we have to see the underbelly of the beast that is human behavior and this is where we find the magician standing in defiance against the dragon with his saber now this is only one archetype so we will be going into other archetypes but again the necessity of us focusing on one archetype is that when you know the modus operandi of the archetype it is easy to manipulate that particular archetype again by using the one ahead method all right guys here's what i found on the internet regarding narcissism and see if you can see the parallels to that of the magician and even to that of ourselves sorry that last intro was an intro to this intro which is the true intro <laughs> integrity radio seven things that terrify narcissists to their core abandonment and rejection narcissists can stand being rejected or abandoned that's why they fly and rages and punish and threaten you if you threaten to leave them and love bomb you if you do manage to get away to reject a narcissist means you are rejecting the false self they have so carefully constructed to impress you to reject that false self negates their entire reason for existing since whatever true self they may have left is completely inaccessible to them and the false self cannot survive on its own, it's completely dependent on the approval and attention of others who it feeds from like a vampire. When you reject a narcissist, they are forced to confront their own emptiness and nothing scares them more than that. They will fight tooth and nail to avoid it, even if it means they have to destroy you in the process. Being made fun of, narcissists have no sense of humor, nada, none, zero, zip. They may laugh cruelly at you when you fall and break your arm. And they may chuckle at the discomfort of someone else since they have almost no empathy, especially if the discomfort was caused by them because remember, to them you are not a real person but an object but they are completely incapable of ever laughing at themselves. A few years ago on a forum I posted on, there was a man who became enraged when someone wrote lol at a joke someone else made at his expense. The joke wasn't very offensive, and from then on he gave both of them the silent treatment. They take themselves very, very seriously and are very, very sensitive. But that sensitivity doesn't extend toward anyone but themselves. The reason they are so bothered by jokes at their expense and can't laugh at themselves is because the self they present to the world is a false one that must be propped up and supported at all times by everyone else. To poke fun at a narcissist is to poke fun at a self that's as empty inside as a puppet. It has no substance. It will fall to pieces and then the narcissist is forced to confront that terrifying emptiness that constantly haunts them. Being disrespected, no one likes to be treated with disdain or disrespect. But the narcissist is downright phobic about it. He or she worries about it all the time and imagines slights and personal attacks even where they don't exist. 
Again, it boils down to the false self which he or she must constantly keep propped up. It's your job to puff it up and inflate it constantly lest it collapse into a limp pile of flimsy rubber. Disrespecting a narcissist is like popping a hole in their balloon self and they feel like they are going to die. To avoid this, a narcissist uses every defense mechanism they have in their arsenal gaslighting, rages, silent treatment, lying, projection, denial, fabricating and false affection to keep you inflating their balloon self so they don't have to acknowledge the horror of recognizing they have lost their real one. Being ignored, this is a no-brainer. Ignoring a narcissist means giving them no supply at all, and without narcissistic supply, the narcissist dies a slow death, or believes they will. That's why some narcissists would even rather be hated than be ignored. Negative attention is still attention, and at least it provides acknowledgement that they still exist. When you ignore a narcissist, it's as frightening to them as being killed. They're no longer confident they exist without your attention. Exposure. If you call out a narcissist on their abusive behavior, they will usually become very angry. Their anger might be expressed in rage or in more covert means such as the silent treatment or gaslighting you. They don't like to be held accountable for the things they do to others. Because that means they have to admit they are less than perfect. It also means they have to acknowledge the humanity of someone else, which they aren't capable of doing. Narcissists are all too aware of their imperfections, but only at the subconscious level, and the way they handle this is to project their own imperfections onto you. So a narcissist might tell you that you are the narcissistic one, or that you are the abuser. They're also good at getting others to side against you, and those people become their flying monkeys. 7 Things That Terrify Narcissists To Their Core Part 2, Exposure. They will accuse you of doing things that they themselves have done and everyone believes them and not you. You start to feel like you are living in a hellish world of smoke and mirrors where you are no longer sure what's real and what isn't. The narcissist has unconsciously or consciously set up this elaborate lie as a massive defense mechanism against being exposed as imperfect and flawed just like everyone else because being forced to acknowledge their shortcomings is to expose their vulnerabilities and being vulnerable is incredibly terrifying to them. They blame so they don't have to feel shame, loss of the trappings of youth and success. As narcissists age, they often grow even more abusive, a very few may improve but they probably weren't high spectrum to begin with. That's because aging means a loss of looks, career, health, possibly even a spouse who provides a narcissist with supply and in some cases even financial solvency. All these things are proof to a narcissist that they still have value and are still admired and respected. Somatic narcissists who are most concerned with their health or physical appearance have never developed other aspects of themselves that could be fallen back on when those things begin to go. That's because the false self is a flimsy one-dimensional construct and is incapable of love, true attachment, friendship, and other things that the rest of us can fall back on when we're old and not in such great physical shape or health anymore. 
If someone has spent their entire lives only concerned with their appearance, once that goes, what's left? Cerebral narcissists who are concerned with their intellectual ability or business acumen may be able to hang on to those assets a bit longer, but eventually their minds may begin to become less sharp or they may be forced to retire or reduce their hours working. Having to retire is a huge blow to a narcissist whose entire identity is tied up in his or her career and earning ability. What is left? In both cases, a narcissist experiences an almost total loss of supply and to avoid the ensuing depression, they lash out and attack others like angry dogs. That's why old narcissists are so often cranky and mean. They're also terrified of death, the last thing on the list that terrifies them. Death. Every narcissist I've ever known lives in mortal terror of death. That's because death is the ultimate loss of narcissistic supply. Death means complete annihilation of the ego and there's nothing more horrifying to a narcissist than that because their ego is all they are. Personally, I think some also fear hell. They know on some deep level how badly they've treated and exploited others and think they might be held accountable for it in the afterlife. I've seen a lot of narcissists who suddenly become extremely religious in their old age. I think that's because they think by being religious, they may be able to ward off any accountability after they die. Hi, I'm Paul Daniels yet again and I'm at home and I'm here to answer another question that came up on uh, response to a previous uh, one of these YouTube vids where I uh, I said there's only really five magic tricks and of course immediately I thought yay I bet they don't know what they are well um, what is magic it is the defiance of all things physical, the physical laws that bind us, you know. When your teacher at school said things like, your physics teacher said, matter cannot be produced. Well, there is a thing that's bound to be taken on by magicians, because magicians will make matter the thing that holds us all together, all the little bits of life. Um, we make it appear, whether it's a coin um, a dice, or whether it's, uh, well, I don't know, oh, a girl or a man or whatever. We make things appear, and therefore that is magical because physics says matter cannot be produced. Well, equally, matter cannot be destroyed without leaving some kind of trace, and yet, boop, the girl is gone. And if that's the case, then we have defied the production of matter, and the destruction of matter. So those are two basic magic principles. We have a law of gravity that binds us onto the planet, yet magicians make things float. Whether it's an object or a person, we make it float. What else is there? Um, ah, yes. Solid matter cannot penetrate solid matter. Again, without leaving some form of damage or alteration to one or the other. And yet, in my case, for example, many, many years ago now, I uh, pushed Penelope Keith through a large stained glass window, and neither of them were particularly damaged in any way, uh, except for Penelope, who was very puzzled up here, because she hadn't a clue how it happened.
which is a really good illusion to do. Since then, many other magicians have pushed things to uh, shop windows, stuff like that. Um, so there you have it. We've got production, we've got destruction, we've got penetration of one, we've got gravity. Oh yeah, transposition. Matter cannot travel from one place to another instantly. Um, unless it's in a science fiction movie, you know, like The Fly, where uh, it went wrong. Well, magicians do make somebody disappear from the stage, sometimes themselves, and appear right at the back of the theatre, or in another box, or up in a box in the theatre top. So basically, those are the five things that defy all the laws of physics, and we, uh, we play around with them, zillions of variations on them. There are what they call allied arts to basic magic. And one of those is, of course, mentalism, which becomes then the magic of the mind. But that is uh, not exactly what we mean when we talk about magic. That uh, many people, of course, claim they really can do it. Mm. And even more people believe they can, which is a bit sad, really. You should always take that kind of entertainment and horoscopes and psychic events, take them as entertainment, but for goodness sake. <sighs> don't uh, don't waste your money. Okay, if your brain doesn't hurt, then you're a better person than I. I'm gonna play some music. I wrote this song called Good From The Bad. Here it is. I dream of genie with the light brown
In a funny twist of coincidence, I was listening to the business guru, uh, millionaire guy Grant Cardone yesterday on one of his audiobooks, and he was talking about that phenomena of the grass is greener, right? And so in relationship, when things get hard, we can be tempted to be, hey, wouldn't it be easier if we just went into that next relationship or that next plot of land where the grass is greener? But he really nailed it by saying the only reason that the grass is greener somewhere else is because a farmer or whatever metaphor you want to make put in the time and the work to make that grass green. And so often people who want to leap from plot to plot to plot or person to person to person just hasn't worked hard enough on their current relationship and so they need to take a look at that and i certainly do myself as someone who can see the grass for miles hey obsidian blade this is z thanks for the call in yes the grass is greener on the other side because someone took care of that side of the grass now didn't they so the same thing goes in hawaii people will go to hawaii or they go to any other given exotic location and you know, after a while, you hear how, you know, they they feel that the place sucks or whatever. And, yeah, I always say, how come you just don't stay and make it better rather than go someplace else? I mean, you ever, you ever realize that every place you go eventually starts to suck? You might think that you might have a little something to do with that. <laughs> so, very good. Thank you.
day. Another day. <laughs> and uh, we finally got the jam. We haven't been able to jam the past couple of nights, huh? So now we're back on uh, on our jamming schedule. All right, folks. Well, thank you very much for listening, and uh, I'll see you tomorrow, or we'll see you tomorrow. Good night. Integrity Radio.